Well, good morning. He is still risen. Jesus Christ is alive today. Uh, we celebrated that, that fact uh, last week, and we continue to celebrate it every day. In fact, uh, in a sense, our lives should be lived in the daily awareness of our present Lord. He is alive and with us every day. But how often we just go through life unaware of his presence. This doesn't register with us as we focus on the, the details of, of life, getting up in the morning, uh, taking a shower, brushing our teeth, eating breakfast, heading off to work, or getting started with work at home, just as we're walking down the road, as we're eating meals, and all of the, the details of life. He is there with us, unnoticed, unrecognized. Well, this is what we want to talk about today. Just walking down the road with Jesus. And we're going to talk about it by looking at the next story in our study of Luke. For those of you who haven't been with us before, we're studying through Luke. We're toward the end. In chapter 24, we're going to pick up in verse 13. I uh, really think that Luke recorded this story in such a way that would suggest that we use it to, uh, to think about our own walk with the Lord as we walk down the road with him. So, if you got a Bible, Luke 24, 13. We're just going to go through verse by verse. Verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, or, yeah, Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. For some reason when I read that, Emmaus did not look like Emmaus. <laughs> I panicked. But it is Emmaus, which is a, a little village just seven miles west of Jerusalem. Uh, uh, Every morning, these guys would walk into the city to participate in the celebration of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which which lasted for a week after the Passover. So it was still going on at this point. Um, uh, uh, Every morning, they probably just walked into town, participated in the feast, and then as the sun began to go down, before it would get too dark to travel, they would head back to their home. Probably took, what, two and a half three hours to leisurely walk those seven miles. Well, these two people uh, were just unknown followers of the Lord. We don't see them anywhere else in the scriptures. They uh, are headed home, verse 14. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. They're talking about what had happened. Now, just two days before, a Friday evening, they had walked home after having witnessed uh, the death of Jesus on the cross. That must have been the longest seven miles of their lives as they walked into the setting sun. Must have felt like their hopes had already set. I wonder if they even talked to each other as they were on that trip home. But now some other things have happened. There have been uh, some strange reports from from some of the the people that they knew. And they're walking along, trying to sort it all out, trying to figure out what it meant. Verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. So while they're walking and talking, suddenly there's a, a guy standing next to him who just probably introduced, or not introduced himself, but just greeted them and and started walking with them. In those days, this would not have been 
kind of obtrusive or, or, or unusual for them to just start walking with them. Uh, it, was, it was socially very acceptable to walk up and, and, and start talking with, walking with people you didn't even know. Uh, it was uh, social custom to join with other sojourners on the way because uh, people enjoyed the company and it was also much safer to travel in groups because there were, were uh, robbers and wild animals around. Now we know that uh, this stranger was Jesus himself. But these guys didn't recognize him. Maybe they were too absorbed in their grief and their confusion to to really look very closely. We're told that they were kept from recognizing him. Obviously, Jesus didn't want them to recognize him yet. I don't know why. A guy by the name of uh, D.W. Ford in his commentary argues that, that Jesus did this in order to clarify for us kind of the, the parallel to our own lives, where we have the Lord walking with us unseen. He said, Just as these travelers did not see Jesus, even though he was walking with them, we cannot see the risen Christ, although he is walking with us, unless he wills to disclose himself. You see, our eyes are blind to spiritual realities that are happening around us all of the time. We cannot see them because... Our eyes are physical, and the things that are happening in the spiritual realm are spiritual. It's not a, a real problem with our eyes. They just weren't made to see into the, into the spiritual. We uh, cannot see it. But as we grow spiritually, as we grow in the Lord, one of the things that happens is our spiritual perception grows. We become more aware of the spiritual realities. Reminds me of the story of Elisha, when uh, he w- and his servant were surrounded by by the king of Aram. The uh, king of Aram w- w- was very angry at Elisha. He wanted Elisha's hide because every time he made plans to invade Israel, the Lord would tell Elisha through prophecy, and Elisha would go tell uh, the king. So the uh, king of Aram sent a, a large expeditionary force to, to, to surround Elisha. Just a large number of chariots and horsemen, soldiers, cavalry. And when Elisha's servant woke up and saw this huge army surrounding their house, he panicked. He said, what are we going to do? Elisha said, relax. Those that are with us are far more than those that are with them. Elisha's servant thought, man, this guy's nuts. You know, one, two. He looked out there and there's this huge army out there. So Elisha prayed that God would open his eyes. And suddenly uh, the servant saw the area between them and this other army just full of a huge army, a larger army of, uh, of soldiers and horsemen and chariots of fire. How did Elisha know that they were there? He didn't have glasses that allowed him to see into the spiritual world. Now he knew it by faith. He knew that God had promised to protect him. He knew the reality of spiritual beings. He knew it. He saw it by faith. God had said he would take care of him. God had promised. God had given his word. So Elisha, without seeing them, knew that he was protected. Again, he saw it by faith. It's the same 
spiritual organ, if you will, that we have. Faith. It's not something weird or strange. It's very simple. God says something, and we believe it to be true. And we are convinced of it. We live our lives assuming, knowing that it's true, even though we cannot see it with our eyes. Often, God will peel back the the curtain between the spiritual and the physical just to give a glimpse. Uh, Somebody will see something, maybe a a vision in the scriptures of an angel or or some event. Or or God will just do something that kind of tips his hand. We become aware of his presence. But again, that's not the norm. Normally, we know the spiritual world because God tells us about it. And we believe him. We are left seeing with the eyes of faith. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And what are we told? What do we know? We know that Jesus is always with us. He will never leave us. He goes with us even to the ends of the earth. Now we may not see him there alongside of us. But he is there. It is a fact. You can count on it. Now back to our story. Verse 17. Jesus was walking with these guys unrecognized. And he asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? First of all, Jesus knew what they were talking about. Jesus had been there all along. They just hadn't been able to see him before this. Jesus always knows what we're thinking, what we're feeling. But he asks these guys because he wants them to articulate their feelings. Articulate their need. You see, Jesus always knows what we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we need. But he wants us to to identify it and to express it and to begin talking it over with him. See, that's really what he wants. The conversation, us to come to him and engage with him in relationship. That's what he's really after. This is the the, the purpose of... Of prayer, that relationship with Him, that we trust Him enough to to pour our hearts out to Him, our feelings, our thoughts, to to, to listen to His heart, to listen to to what He's thinking and, and what He's feeling. See, that's what prayer is all about. <clears throat> when we trust Him enough to come to Him, be honest with Him. Like he does later on in this story, he shows us himself. Because for him, what he desires is that love relationship. I remember a a conversation with a college student one time who had concluded that prayer is stupid and unnecessary. I mean, God already knows what we need more than we do. I mean, why do we have to tell him? He's a smart guy. He already knows it. So he decided he wasn't going to pray anymore. Well, he missed the point. And more than that, he he missed our Lord's tender, loving heart who wants relationship with us. It's his desire for us to, to, like I said, trust him enough that we come and we share our heart with him. And he shares his heart 
with us. We trust Him enough to tell Him what we're thinking and feeling. That's what friends do. That's what lovers do. See, wake up to that reality and love your Lord by talking to Him every day, all through the day. But these two guys are amazed at his question. They can't believe that here's somebody who doesn't know what happened. I mean, everybody in Jerusalem knows what happened. These guys are stunned. How could this guy not know? Jesus just keeps gently asking. Verse 19, what things he asked. Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him, they did not see. These guys uh, tell Jesus what was on their mind. They, he, they tell him that there was this Jesus that, that uh, was obviously from God. And they had hoped that this was the answer. They had hoped that this would be the one that would fix Israel. But their leaders had turned him over to the Romans to be executed. And then they tell him that, that some of the women had gone to the tomb to take care of the body. But when they got there, his body was gone. Maybe lost or stolen. And then, then Peter and John, they ran to the tomb and they looked and they didn't find him there. See, they're telling Jesus about their disappointment with him, with their situation. I mean, they had hoped. Hope is hard to come by. They had hoped in this Jesus and now that hope was, was gone. Jesus was dead. And even his body is gone. See, Jesus hadn't lived up to their hope. Disappointment with God is something we all experience. Philip Yancey wrote a great book called Disappointment with God, in which he uh, talks about the fact, the reality, that at one point or another, and usually at many points in our lives, we suffer profound disappointment with God. It is a universal experience. And still... Hear the, uh, uh, the voice of a young woman who was crying to me. You know, I trusted God in my choice of a husband. Uh, this seemed like a godly man. It seemed like he was walking with the Lord, and now he's left me for another woman. I mean, she trusted God, and God let her down. It shouldn't be that way. You see, we suffer disappointment with God. In our love life, all of us do at times. We suffer disappointment with God in our jobs. We all do. Suffer disappointment with God in our parenting. Maybe our lack of children. Suffer disappointment with God in our physical health and stamina. Eventually our bodies break down. We suffer financial disappointment. You know, midlife crisis is really disappointment with God when we, we realize that our lives aren't what we had hoped they would be. See, especially when we have trusted God and obeyed Him, 
But even when we haven't, when we're suffering the kind of the, the, the results of our own choices, even then we somehow feel God has let us down. It's a universal experience. But it's no surprise to God. It doesn't shock him. In fact, Jesus knew what they were thinking and what they were feeling before he asked them the question. But he still asks. Because he wants us to be honest with ourselves and with him. There's absolutely nothing that is gained either relationally or spiritually through dishonesty. Often, we just keep quiet about our disappointment with God. We don't want to say anything to anybody. We don't say anything to God. We just quietly slip away. We don't trust Him enough to come straight to Him and straight at Him. That lack of trust, that lack of faith kills us. Don't do it. Come to Him. It won't be easy. And it won't be painless. He is tough. Often what He says is tough. Usually in the midst of our struggle with Him, He shows us something of ourselves that we really don't want to see. And it's hard. It's tough. But it's true. And even though we may be left with huge unanswered questions, we will have Him. And that's worth a lot more than any of the questions. Remember uh, one pivotal time, one of many in my life, when I was extremely disappointed with God. I just wanted to get away from Him. I wanted Him to leave me alone. I was confused, hurt. I uh, was a, a relatively new believer, and I had led someone to the Lord, just someone I met who was ready to believe. And they started to really grow. They got involved in a Bible study and really seemed to be doing well. And I was so excited. This was wonderful. About two months into it, they decided that they didn't really believe. And they walked away. And I was crushed. I was confused and I was angry. And I said to God, you know, you say in your word, ask what you will and it will be done. Well, I ask and look what happened. You know, what could be more in line with your will than for this person to grow? God, how can I believe your word when it just doesn't seem true? I was furious. So I took a Saturday morning took my Bible, drove up into the hills, was going to have it out with God. Honestly, I I, uh, really think I expected him to apologize to me. (laughs) But he didn't. In fact, I uh, took my Bible, read the book of of Job. And as I read through that, got to the end, I thought, man, here was a guy that really got a raw deal. Maybe God will apologize to him. I get to the end of the book, God doesn't apologize, he rebukes him. How rude, God. And then I felt like God rebuked me. He said, where were you when I created the world? Did I need you to tell me how to do it? Did I do an okay job? Did I need you to show me how to construct an atom? Did I need to confer with you when I created a whale? Were you going to tell me how to do it? Then he said, what makes you think I need you to tell me how to love this person? And what makes you think I need you to tell me how to use you? As strange as it may seem, and as tough as those words were, those words satisfied my heart. 
I still didn't have answers to my question about that passage in the, in the Bible. I didn't have answers about what God was doing. But somehow I felt like I had God. He was my God, my Lord. Again, all of us suffer disappointment with God. There have been many times in, in my life, uh, far more painful, far bigger than this one, But the key for each of us is to, like Jacob, wrestle with God, engage with Him. Don't let go. Now, He's going to win. But He's also going to give you Himself. Listen to how Jesus responded to their disappointment. He rebukes them. Verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Now, he doesn't really call them fools. The uh, New English Bible, is, I think, translates a little better. He says, How dull of understanding you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said. He implies that it's not just an intellectual problem. It's a heart problem, a belief problem. Somehow these guys were refusing to believe, refusing to look at the parts of the prophets that talked about Jesus' suffering and his death. They were there, but these guys just wanted to look at the victory parts, the glory parts. They didn't want to look at the suffering parts. How often we treat the word the same way. We just want to look at the the glory parts. We don't want to know about the suffering But Peter, in 1 Peter, tells us, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trials you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. There will be suffering in your life. It's going to happen. It's part of our calling for now. Expect it. But that suffering will end in joy and glory. Don't just look at the parts you like. Look at all of Scripture. Learn from all of Scripture. Otherwise, life will be devastating and confusing when you run into the suffering that will be there. Again, Jesus is tough. Don't expect a polite argument. But also, again, Jesus loves you. And if you trust him enough to get into it with him, you'll come out of it with him closer than ever before. And he will give you himself. With with these guys, he not only rebukes them, but he gives them an incredible gift. Verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So he doesn't just get disgusted with these guys and walk away. Now he explains himself, who he is, so that they understand him better. He opens the scriptures to them. You see, the, the problem with their faith is they weren't paying attention to the scriptures. See, the, the scriptures are our spiritual food. As we engage with the scriptures, trying to understand and, and see what, what God says in there, we grow spiritually. Our, our ability to, to see the, the spiritual realities becomes clearer. We're not so 
devastated and confused by events in our lives, more and more we see the truth. For many of us, the Bible is, is a closed book. We read it, it just lays there. It doesn't open our eyes. That's why Jesus is so essential. Our time in the Word has to be time with Him. It's His book. It is about Him. Jesus once said to the Pharisees, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? And again, you diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. The Scriptures testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. See, the Bible is all about Jesus, and it is He by His Holy Spirit, who will teach it to us. When we approach the Scriptures, we've got to approach it with Him, aware of His presence, talking to Him about it, asking Him what He will show us of Himself, and then being ready to respond to that. Uh, Encountering, relating to, talking over the Scriptures with Jesus is how we grow. And it's as you spend time in His written Word that you will learn to identify, to distinguish, to hear His voice. You'll know it because it's consistent with His Word. See, Jesus' voice, our Lord's voice, doesn't sound any different in our head than our own imagination or even in the enemy's voice. But you will recognize it because you've become familiar with it in His Word. I'd encourage each one of us, each one of you, to to get involved in a Bible study with other believers where you can can grow in in how to study the Word, how to understand the Word. Jesus explained the Old Testament to these two men, starting at the beginning, the books of Moses, going all the way through the prophets. From the beginning to the end, it's about Jesus. Right at the beginning of Genesis, God said, let us create. Let us make man in our own image. He's talking to himself, the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In chapter 3, right toward the beginning, right after man sins, Jesus' coming is prophesied in the promised seed, the descendant who would crush the head of the serpent. In fact, the whole book of Genesis is the promised descendant and the blessings that would come through him. In the books of the law, in all of the law, it points to Jesus as our, our perfect sacrifice and as our righteousness. The, the books of the conquest and the kings point to Jesus and his conquest, the victory we have in Christ, point to him as our true king. The Psalms are, are written about him. That's the way they should be read. All of the prophets are about him. Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, all of them. Even even the very last of the prophets, the little book of Malachi, is a prophecy of his coming. Let me read a couple of words from Malachi. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. 
Then the New Testament just picks up from there and goes on. The very first teaching of Jesus, he walks into a, a Galilean synagogue, he opens a scroll of Isaiah, he reads part of it, closes the scroll, and he says, Today, in your presence, this scripture has been fulfilled. He's saying, it's about me. He had come. We don't have time this morning to really go through the whole Old Testament, pointing out all of the things that, that, that it says about Jesus. But realize, these two guys and Jesus, they didn't have that much time either. That's somewhere under three hours. Jesus must have just been skimming, just hitting the highlights. Boy, wouldn't it have been great to have that recorded, to be able to go over that. But you know, I think Jesus didn't want it recorded. Because he wants us to come to his word and to dig into it with him. Listening to him. Letting him teach us. Discovering these things ourselves with him. Because again, it's his desire ultimately to have that relationship with us. In which he can show us himself, himself and show us how profoundly he knows us. I'm running out of time, so let's go on with our story. Verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Now, Jesus didn't impose himself on these guys. If they hadn't invited him in, he would have just gone off. See, he never forces himself on any of us. He waits for us to invite him in, to ask us, ask him to talk. But what these guys would have missed had they not invited him in. They would have missed seeing him for who he really was. They would have missed that understanding. We miss so much when we fail to invite him into our lives every day, talking with him. Jesus went into their house to eat with them, uh, maybe because he was obviously a rabbi, a teacher. They asked him to say the blessing. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they, record, or they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talked, while he talked with us on the road? Open the scriptures to us. See, when Jesus broke the bread and prayed, they saw his hands. They saw the nail marks in his wrists, and they knew who he was. Verse 33, they got up and returned to Jerusalem at once. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. And the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. See, these guys were so excited. There was no way, even though it was dark, that they were going to stay there. They headed back into Jerusalem. probably made that uh, seven miles in about uh, 35, 40 minutes. Had their Nikes on. And they come into the, to the, the place where the other disciples are meeting. They burst through the door. And the first thing, the other disciples, they're so excited. They say, it's true. Jesus is risen. He, he, he appeared already to Peter. Before they can even tell their story, the disciples, the apostles have their story. Jesus had already appeared to Peter. This is our Lord's love. Singled out Peter, who he must have known was hurting so badly. Having denied 
his Lord three times. His Lord, whom he really did love. This is Jesus' tender care for Peter. But it's important that you realize that Peter isn't really special. In fact, one of the the, the powerful things about this story that Luke has recorded for us is that it's about a couple of nobodies, one of whom we don't even know his name. These aren't uh, apostles. These are just two guys that know the Lord. It's a story of two regular guys who are just walking down the road. They're not doing anything special. They're just everyday simple stuff. Walking, talking, eating a meal. Simple stuff. And I said at the beginning that uh, we're going to look at this story as as a picture of our walk with the Lord. We've been doing that as we've been going through. But I'm afraid some will be tempted to say, yeah, that's true for kind of your spiritual all-stars, your apostle types. You know, maybe the Lord walks with those guys. Maybe the Lord walks with missionaries and pastor types. But you see, our Lord was just as concerned with these two guys as he was with Peter. He's just as concerned for you and me. He isn't just Peter's risen Lord who restores him after he falls. He is our risen Lord, who restores us after we fall, who wants to just walk down the road with us, share life with us, have us see his presence, see him with faith, by faith. See, that's what he wants, to to walk with us in just that mundane, everyday details, not just the big things, not just the crises, though we feel our need for him most acutely then, but everything. As we walk, as we talk, as we eat. In fact, let me just say something real quick about eating. It mentions twice that he rec- they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. Breaking bread is something that we do two, three times every day. What a wonderful opportunity to stop several times during the day and recognize our Lord's presence. Now, many people here have tradition of saying grace before meals. If you don't, I would encourage that. And I would encourage all of us to really take the time when we sit down to stop and realize that He is, in fact, there with us. Start your prayer before your meal with that. Lord, thank you that you're here among us. Or even by, when you're by yourself, Lord, thank you that you're with me. Start every meal with, with this reminder, this acknowledgement his loving presence. Let me just close real quickly one uh, story. We're talking about the reality, the unseen reality, that our Lord is always with us. And that as we go through all of life, the disappointments, the frustrations, the joys, just the simple, mundane, emotionally neutral stuff, he wants to walk with us, talk with us. But he is always there whether we see him or not. This last uh, month, or a little over a month, we, uh, Becky and I went to uh, Europe, visit some of our field staff there. One of the things we did is she and I took a day to, to, to take off and, and uh, go see where, where Becky used to live. I don't know how many of you know, Becky was born in Germany. She uh, went to first through third grades there. And uh, she'd never been back, never seen where she lived. And uh, so we decided to go and, and see. But when we got to Europe, uh, as, as the time for our trip got closer to, to go visit her childhood home, she began to have some, some real disturbing memories of some things that happened there, some, some pretty traumatic stuff. 
And as we got closer, it got more difficult and confusing. And the night before we left on the train to, to find her, her childhood home, she had a dream. And in this dream, she was that little six-year-old girl again. She could see herself, a little lost girl. And the, 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 the memory that had been disturbing her, she was back in the midst of that circumstance, that situation. And it was happening all over. But this time, she saw Jesus with her. The Lord was with her. And he said, I've been with you all along. Even before you knew me, I was there. She woke up and, and, and just felt a freedom from, from those memories. And as we went and found her childhood home, it was just a sheer joy and excitement to, to look at it and see where, where she had been growing up. You see, the Lord is with us, whether we see him or not. See him by faith. Count on it. Let's pray. Lord, we do realize in our heads that you are with us. We uh, count on that. But Lord, we want to, to remember it during the day. We want to talk with you. We want to love you. I just open our hearts, our thoughts to you because you love us. And we want to hear your heart. Lord, remind us frequently this week of your presence. Stimulate us to speak to you, to, to love you. And we just pray this in your name. Amen.